The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Thursday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And we begin the podcast by posing the question, what do you do when you bump into an old teacher from grade school, junior high, high school? How do you address them? This happened to me sitting at a pub on Wednesday afternoon. Bumped into an old teacher, and what happened from there is rather amusing. We're also going to speak to the head of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, which has announced a ton of money to be pumped in to Winnipeg's neonatal intensive care at both HSC and St. Boniface Hospital, and we'll tell you why there is a need for this. Small Town Salute this week takes us to Flin Flon, which has surpassed, usurped Toronto. We'll tell you what they have done to defeat Toronto. Also, yet another armed standoff in Winnipeg. It's like the fourth standoff in the last two weeks. So we're going to speak with the head of the Winnipeg Police Association to find out what he thinks about what's going on with this rise in crime in our city. A CNN reporter, Jim Acosta, ousted from the White House Correspondents Association after a testy exchange with President Donald Trump. We'll speak to Global's Jackson Prosco about that. And 145 years ago today, Winnipeg became a city... But not after a good tar and feathering. So yesterday afternoon, I had some errands to run, had an appointment downtown, and after that, I was had realized I hadn't eaten all day. So I thought, do I want to do the dishes that I've left piled up in my kitchen, <laughs> and then make something which I'm sure will be unsatisfying, or should I just walk out and buy get a, get lunch somewhere? So I walked over to the Grove. It's at Stafford and Grosvenor. It's Good like call. Five-minute walk from my place. Sat at the bar, had a couple of beers, had some lunch, uh, pizza, the Tubby, uh, which is it used to be called Tubby's Pizza, Yeah, it's right? an homage to uh, Tubby's Pizza that used to be there once upon a time, for a long time. Yeah, so uh, I don't know, how about a half hour later, um, I look up, and uh, there was a gentleman who had been speaking with some of the other regulars there, and I realized it was my old English teacher from grade 8, Mr. Steele. So I kind of gave him a nod and and uh, cheers and said, hey, Mr. Steele. And eventually the, there was conversation uh, that I joined in because the guys next to me, Paul and uh, Harry, were talking about golf and uh and how they like it, and they're bad at it. Paul, by the way, listens to the station. He says, oh, yeah, I listen to you guys every morning. I wasn't sure about when they brought in that McNabb, but she's great. <laughs> he really liked your meat wagon comment. Oh, the other I'm day. sure, yeah. We weren't sure either. <laughs> I wasn't sure about that comment, I'll tell you that much. But, but uh, so anyway, and then he remarked, you, you called him Mr. Steele. Right. And I said, I... and he, Steele says from across the bar, it's Colin, by the way. And I said, I, I can't call you, Mr. I can't call you Colin. It's Mr. Steele. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, is this, am I alone in this when you see teachers? I address my kids' teachers <laughs> by their last name. Really? Oh, yeah. Unless I am personally no. uh, a friend of theirs, they are, will have been and always will be in my main Mr., Mrs., Ms., or Miss. 
fill in the blank. I don't even know if I would know the first names of half my teachers yeah. that I had. Like, you just didn't. It's very different. I think kids now will even address parents, right? They're friends of their parents, parents yeah. of their friends, sorry, by their first names. But it was always Mr. and Mrs. I, I, I'm trying to think of the first names of some of my teachers. I just, I'm going to say this before Braun gets in there. I just wish my teachers would recognize me when they saw them. <laughs> I don't even know if any of them are still alive. Oh, yeah, that no was doubt. my first thought. Back when, yeah. when Kelly was in school, the history books were just called books. <laughs> That's my favorite joke. <laughs> there we go. There we go, But, you know, just to get back to your guys' comments about the mister thing, it's not quite uh, the same thing as what you went through, Brett, but I saw firsthand my first year doing uh, the Jets, and, uh, boy, having the privilege of having Don riding shotgun with Don Whitman. And so we go into, uh, I think he was playing in St. Louis at the time. Anyway, there's Wayne Gretzky, and it's not Don. It's, hey, Mr. Whitman, how are you? Wow. Here's a superstar mm-hmm. who by that time is in his mid th- or early to mid-30s and, and still referring to Don Whitman as Mr. Whitman. And it's with coach. It's always coach. It's like president. Once you've been coach or president, you yeah. will always, henceforth, always be coach. And even my football and hockey coaches, if I see them around, it's always coach, fill in the blank, or just coach. Hi, coach. It's never by the first name. Yeah. Don't don't you like that, though? Cause then I it, love that. Because that takes it, takes it off the table. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Will it sound weird if I say, you know, Mr. Jones or if I call a guy Eddie or something like that? I prefer that. If you yeah. have to run into somebody, run into a coach. We have a text message, a few text messages. One of them uh, is from your hood, Greg. Somebody saying, I went to Isaac Brock School, and I recently ran into a teacher that I had in grade nine and called her Mrs. Robinson. Uh, Darla. <laughs> Darla Robinson. <laughs> and I saw her seven years ago at the Isaac Brock 100th uh, anniversary, and I called her Mrs. Robinson as well. She didn't like it very much no. at all. No, she hated it because we're, I mean, we're very close in age, quite yeah, frankly. It's a sign of respect, It though, is. It you know? is. It is. And, and I think if you're, if you, obviously, Mr. Steele or yeah. Colin uh, had a very favorable impact on you that you would feel compelled to still show that respect to Unless him, it was like, hello, Mr. Steele. No, <laughs> no he, had, he had a couple of beers by then, so it was, hey, Mr. Steele! Yeah, I cheated on my final and got away with it. <laughs> I ran into my gym teacher at Costco uh, just last week, and I felt almost the need to apologize because in grade 7, uh, I got banned from the junior high ski trip. What did you do? I don't know. I think I was mouthy. I, you no. don't know. But it was such a shock to me. It was actually, I wanted to apologize <laughs> and then thank her because I had, I had was I had perceived myself as the smart, good kid. And somewhere along the way in gym was not. And so she banned me from the school trip. And I was like, me? And then after that, I was like, I better I don't know. I got to shape up. No more ski trips for. So I saw her at Costco and I was like, uh, Mrs. Nealon, I just, uh, hey, like, love you. <laughs> Did she remember I the had, great oh, yeah, seven no, ski trip? No, I never brought it up. Like, she was very good. She's a yeah. lovely woman and I was so excited to Kathleen's see her. Mom? Kathleen Nealon? Uh, Riding Mountain? Different diff- Nealon family. Nealon. Okay. Yeah. We're just going to do West But she was West a Band great history. teacher oh, yeah. and she set me on the straight and narrow. Look at me now. So, thank you. <laughs> we, we got some more texts here. Uh, one person says, how do I respond when bumping into an old teacher? I don't say a thing, and I do the head bob and a little wink and a smile. Another person says, I have an old elementary math teacher that I now socialize with at my cottage, and he has often said to call him by his first name, but I just can't. Even yeah. in a social environment like that, just yep. can't do it. Yeah, somebody else saying it's just wrong calling a teacher by their first name. Like you, I ran into one of my teachers, and she said, Call me by my first name. I just 
couldn't do it. Here, now, here's something I'd like to get uh, the, the panel to weigh in on. Hmm. Back Way back when, uh, we were playing Friday night hockey, and my English teacher, Mr. Elliott, decides to come out and play with us. So now I've got the chance to lay him out. <laughs> yes. I hope you did. Do I or don't I? You no, did. I did not. You didn't? Uh, oh. no. That's too bad. It was Friday night pickup hockey. Come on. One final text here. Somebody saying, I went to Pierre Elliott Trudeau in Transcona, and when I run into teachers 10 years later, they still talk to me in French, and I struggle to talk French back. <laughs> I went to Trudeau, and I can tell you, listener, I go through the same thing. Sorry, when I run was into... it Bonjour, Monsieur Steele? No, no, he was my English teacher. Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Perfect, Mr. Steele. Perfect. You were so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> All the teachers. Thank you. He won't be disappointed oh, in me. Yeah. He was one of my favorite teachers, by the way. If I didn't like him, I just would have pretended he wasn't there. One last one. I'm a teacher, and I still refer to my old teachers as Mr. and Mrs. Yep, there you go. (laughs) Big news from our hospital system coming up in a moment. But, Loren, before we do anything, we start with... Saying happy birthday yeah. to Winnipeg. Happy birthday to Winnipeg. Yeah, Winnipeg was incorporated as a city 145 years ago today. And before you hit the snooze button on that one, coming up at 9.30, before it was incorporated, uh, one of the individuals responsible for passing the bill that incorporated the city actually was dragged out of his home and tarred and feathered over the animosity about just turning this into a city and all the rest. So it's actually really fascinating. We're going to talk about that at 9.35. Literally tarred and literally, feathered? Well, they're not so sure about the feathering. He was literally tarred because he even spoke about it. He was the speaker and he spoke about it in the House afterwards. Uh, but a lot of the papers put feather in the headline and I'm not sure if that's just because that was sort of a, you can't tar without feathering. <laughs> No. You can't have one without exactly. the Exactly. If you're in a tar, you must feather. So we'll talk about that at 9.35. Now, Loren, for several months, we've been hearing concerns from the nurses' union uh, about mandatory overtime vacancies at St. Boniface Hospital could be putting patients and staff at risk. Yeah, and a lot of the problems have pointed towards the neonatal natal unit where newborn babies can spend hours, weeks, even months. And in September, those concerns even led the nurses' union to speak directly to the health minister for help or appeal to him in a letter. And we now know some more help or at least changes are coming to the to the St. Boniface Hospital neonatal unit. $3.2 million more, including the hiring of 30 New nurses and 11 new beds. WRHA President and CEO Rael Kaluche is in the studio to explain some of those changes, along with Dr. Michael Narvi, who's head for the region for newborn intensive care. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's always nice to have everyone in studio with us. And I know this is a pretty big deal, particularly for parents who end up in this situation. So I want to start there, Dr. Narvi, with just explaining to folks who may not know the importance of this unit. What is the neonatal unit at St. B? Uh, well, it's a very important unit, as as is the unit at HSC as well. Um, as I often say to parents, no one expects at the beginning of a pregnancy that they're going to wind up having a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit, but they're sure happy when they discover we have them. Um, we provide care for a tremendous number of babies in our system every year. Approximately 1,700 babies at some point or another go through the neonatal intensive care unit out of about 17,000 births annually in the province. Um, So um, although we never like to talk about babies having to go there, um, we certainly provide a a significant service for the population in Manitoba. That's high. It's about, if I'm doing my math right, five five babies a day too that you would end up there. Yeah, well, I lived it. 
uh, 12 years ago, uh, the first time I'd ever heard of the NICU, I was standing in the middle of it and a nurse was telling me about what the next month of my life with my newborn twins was going to be like. And uh, so you paint a, a perfect picture there, Dr. Narvi. But th- this increase in requirement for services in the NICU, as a lot of people will call it, or the NICU, is this something that parallels an increase in population? Are there more high-risk pregnancies and births? Uh, what is Why are things changing in terms of uh, the requirements for capacity here? Sure. I mean, the first thing I'd like to mention is that uh, this is not a baby boom. You know, I think that that's something that people begin to wonder, you know, why is this suddenly hitting the limelight? Um, this is something that globally is being seen. Uh, there's reports out of the U.S. that preterm birth is at a, the highest rate ever. Um, and and there's, there's a number of factors that I think, you know, are leading to that. One is simply a numbers game. It's population growth, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, as our population grows, we see between 10 to 15% of all births. And I mentioned, you know, we have admissions at rate of about 10%, but we also see an additional uh, up to a few more percent that are transiently through. So not like your twins, but might spend, I think you said at the beginning, hours. So yeah, we have some kids that you spend hours. So as your population in Manitoba grows, and it has grown by an average of about 150 to 200 uh, people uh, per year in terms of births, okay? So if you take that 10 to 15%, you're naturally going to see over time, you know, a gradual increase in demand. And you couple that with a couple other things that are going on. Um, one is, um, it's no secret that uh, many women are delaying uh, their childbearing until later on in life. And we know that after 35, we start to see an increased risk that a baby will need uh, from such a pregnancy to need the uh, neonatal intensive care unit. Um, so there's that. And then the last thing is, and you know, I, I sometimes am reluctant to say this, but it's the truth that you know, we're good at what we do. You know, and uh, we provide uh, wonderful care uh, here in Winnipeg. We also have the benefit over the last number of years of improving technologies, which allow us to keep some of the highest risk babies alive, but not just alive for the sake of being alive, but having wonderful outcomes as well. But many of these babies um, sometimes will stay up to six months in the hospital system, and that takes up beds. Greg, for the Small Town Salute, which, by the way, is brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. Where are we going? We're going to Flin Flon, Manitoba. It's up on the Manitoba-Saskatchewan border. I don't know how many clicks. I'm going to guess about 700, but I'm going to ask Crystal Colt, Flin Flon Arts Council, coordinator of Flin Flon Culture Days, and board, she's on the board of Culture Days Manitoba. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, so uh, am I about right about 700 kilometers from Winnipeg, or is it more than that? It's a bit more than that. It's about 800. Oh. 800. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a drive. But, you know, Way off, Greg. Uh, <laughs> happening, so it's okay. Well, uh, Flin Flon has just been recognized and, and in really good company in terms of its uh, willingness <laughs> and its eagerness to celebrate culture days. Explain this to us, Crystal. Well, I got it got into Culture Days right at the very beginning, actually in about 2008, when Jean Jaguer gave me a call and asked if I would be part of this pan-Canadian celebration of arts and culture. And and I just jumped to the chance, because when you're in a more remote community, um, you're always looking at an opportunity to be able to, to share with the rest of the province and the country. And so I just went, this is perfect. I'm, I'm in um, with both feet. And so... That is, in essence, what Culture Day is about, and um, 
and we just went for it up here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what they looked like in the beginning and how they looked more re- or they've looked more recently with your culture days there. Okay, so it's very, very beginning. First of all, um, what I believe uh, with Culture Days is that everybody is part of our team. And so um, our culture, um, we're an extremely vibrant um, arts culture in any case, like within the visual arts and the performing arts. And um, and so that was easy. That was an easy sell here. But I also believe that in, in, uh, in the north here, our culture is also um, uh, fishing. We make your lures. Welcome to the arts and culture team. And also hockey. We'd make your jerseys. And hunting. You know, we're just, we're all, I just believe in it all. And so um, we just started to uh, to get our our. our feed in the door a little bit with that and we started off I think with about 40 about 40 events maybe a little less than that of the very first one which we thought was uh which was amazing and it's sort of grown to this year we had 134 events in the weekend happening in our community wow now Brett it won't surprise you, Manitoban glossing over, you know, the big deal here, right? Yeah. Crystal, it gave you an opportunity to say it, so I'm going to say it for you. Winnipeg celebrated, rated number one as for Culture Day six years in a row for the most amount of events and participation. Toronto was number three. Flin Flon was number two. Yeah, I know. It's It's... So hilarious and so funny and so wonderful all at the same time because the thing that I like about Culture Days, like like I mentioned at the beginning, it's a chance for us to all kind of hold hands together and be on the same same level to a certain extent. And uh, I never really was sure whether that was really possible, but apparently it is. And so uh, I, I do have to cackle it. And we did put it um, on our, we have this one big LED sign uh, that we beat Toronto. So we did gloat a little bit and, uh, and and are enjoying that. And we're asking our mayor to call Mayor Tory in Toronto and congratulate him on being served because, you know, that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Nothing like being able to call out Toronto, I right think, a on. little bit. Anyone along the way, Crystal, say to you, well, where's Flin Flon? Uh, pardon me? Did anyone along the way say, you know, when they hear about this and go, Flin Flon? Like, where is Flin Flon? All the time. First of all, it's such a quirky name. And so it does stick into people's mind long enough to ask the question as well. And uh, and so people um, are, you know what, the interesting thing about Flin Flon is from the very beginning, it's only about 80 years old, which is quite old for a mine around here, but we've always been connected with Manhattan. And so since the beginning, when the Whitney's invested the $28 million into getting uh, the mine started in Flin Flon, we've had this really interesting, quirky relationship um, with Manhattan and with the big art scene in in New York. And so we've always had this this real desire to go big and that if we want to perform, we want to perform in Canada and uh, Carnegie Hall. If we want to, you know, go to Europe, let's go to Europe. We just we just don't stop. We just kind of keep on going until we get there and we have fun doing it. So anyways, that's a little bit about us. You mentioned the quirky name Flin Flon. Greg knows the story, and I sort of know the story. But for those who don't know the story, where's the name come from? Yeah, 
another really cool art art story there because it comes from a dime store uh, novel called The Sunless City. And so, um, in, in the beginning, when they were mining around looking for the the ore body around town here, they found this little and it's not necessarily you know Tolstoy. Uh, this uh, little book, The Sunless City, and the character in the book is Flintabity Flonitan, and the name Flimflon came came from that, which is hilarious and. And uh, and fun and quirky all at the same time. So we're named after this fictional, you know, science fiction character. <laughs> so this picture, because uh, I know that there's a picture of the uh, the Flin Flon Community Center with the We Beat Toronto sign uh, circulating. Yeah. Is there somewhere on your social media that we can have a look at that? Um, yeah, we have it on Facebook. We have a Facebook post. We actually are just rebuilding our website, and um, I, I don't know. If, I'll have to check and see what's on the city website. So it, hopefully it'll be on there. But yeah, Facebook too. We've been spreading it around like like crazy. What's so. the, the What's the What do I look for on on Facebook? This Flimflon Arts Council. Okay. Well, hey, yeah. congratulations, Crystal Colt, Flinflon Arts Council Coordinator, Flinflon Culture Days Board of Culture Days Manitoba. Well done on finishing number two and usurping the big smoke. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. And so great to talk to CGOB. This is so much fun. Thank you. Right on, Crystal. Thanks a lot for joining us today for the Small Town Salute. Once again, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. Still one of my favorite. Was it a heritage minute? What was it? You know, where you can have the, the fake explorer goes under under the water, and then the name was born for Flin Flon. I, I remember seeing the video. film. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing the film or the film strip. Yeah, I remember watching <laughs> that and then cool. thinking for years that it was a real person, like there was a real Flintabaddy. Flonitan. Do you do you remember film strips? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I just was wondering if it was something that went the way of the dodo bird after I left school and you guys came in. So You're not that much. Oh, like older. actual film. No, a film strip, there was a special thing, and it would come in a canister, and there was typically a recording, and you would press press play, and the teacher would sit at the projector, and it would be a still photo, and then a little beep, and then you would Change the image. It was almost like a PowerPoint oh, like a presentation, almost. not a projector, yeah. not a film, just a film strip. Because movies oh. and films, that was a big deal. When yeah. you saw the teacher, uh, he's a roll city in. kid. Oh, you were too. I was thinking maybe it was a small town folks that got what? stuck with the film strips. Oh no, no, no. Well, maybe it's the it's the poor schools. <laughs> and what are you the, talking uh, about like slides? No, mm, no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> then maybe you didn't have it. I don't. Yeah, this isn't ringing a bell. So. Film strip seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Am I off my nut? Do I remember these things correctly? I just might not remember because I forget things, Greg. That's okay. Right now, we want to switch gears and return to the standoff that happened yesterday in the North End. One of a handful of standoffs that have happened in the city over the last couple of weeks. And to talk about this and crime in our city, we're joined by the head of the Winnipeg Police Association, Mo Sabrin, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mo, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. So, Mo, just walk us through the past couple of days for your members. In in a Winnipegger's mind, it feels like we're hearing more and more about armed standoffs, more about gun calls. It feels like there's more violence. I'm not sure if that's the actual reality on the street, so I'd like to hear what you're hearing from your police officers within the association. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the it's only the major, major incidents that uh, the public uh, become aware of through these standoffs and uh, the media coverage. But uh, gun calls are a daily occurrence now. Uh, when I got on the job 27 years ago, if you had a gun call in a month, that was a lot. So, um, you know, our, our members are uh, extremely concerned about the trend. Uh, we've been concerned about the trend, about increased crime, increase in violent crime. The numbers are up for literally every uh, type of crime in Winnipeg. And, and we've been trying to advocate that uh, the uh, resources that are being supplied to the police service to tackle the problems is inappropriate. It's, uh, it's inadequate. Can you be more specific on that, Mo? Uh, we're talking to Mo Sabarin with the Winnipeg Police Association. We just played a clip from the mayor talking about how uh, resources uh, are up year over year in terms of a dollar figure. The chief, and I hear you laughing, and I'll just finish this out. The chief has said previously that he feels like the resources, they have the right resources. So are we just talking about how we're using the money, or are you laughing because you need more? Well, I'm I'm laughing because uh, the resources are not there to tackle uh, the problems that uh, that we're seeing. The rate of incarceration is the lowest it's ever been in Manitoba. The solvency rate on crimes is uh, lower than it was last year, and that's as a result of uh, not having enough resources, not having an adequate budget. So um, I, I chuckle because uh, the mayor is saying, yes, it is up, but uh, uh, crime is not dependent upon um, the uh, rate of inflation. And we're seeing a, a huge problem right now. And a lot of people would, would have you think that meth is a medical problem, and it's not because we're seeing higher rates of violence, greater types of violence. And uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm going to say our members are struggling to keep their head above water. Mo, we spent a week uh, on Global News talking uh, about the meth crisis, the trickle-down effect in terms of crime that we're seeing in our city. The word crisis uh, rolled off the tongues of a variety of different people along the way. Yet, when you speak about needing more resources, your critics will suggest that this is a union thing and this is about protecting union jobs and just getting more money for police officers, not more money for police. How do you respond to that criticism? Yeah, you know what? We have signed a a contract, which the mayor himself has said is the most sustainable uh, in the last 20 years. So we, we've done our part uh, as far as uh, uh, wage increases and that sort of thing. And even in that contract, we were able to give the service operational efficiencies through civilianization of certain positions. So what we're talking about in resources is um, either more officers or you're going to have to pay um, more money for uh, projects that need to be run that aren't being run that were run in the past that would target uh, specific offenses, people that are doing break and enters, people that are dealing drugs, uh, people that are involved in child, child pornography. Those projects aren't being run because there isn't enough money in the budget. So they've had to claw back on, on certain projects. And that is only making the problem even worse because, like I said, the rates of incarceration are the lowest they've ever been in Manitoba, even the, the province has shut beds at Milner Ridge uh, Correction Facility. From Mo Sabrin is the head of the Winnipeg Police Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mo, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, folks.
Should we just play this audio? Because I think a lot of us have heard the extended exchange between CNN's Jim Acosta and President Donald Trump. Here's 28 seconds of it. I think you I think should you let should. me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let would me be ask, much better. If I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question. Mr. President, if I may, if I may oh, ask Peter, one other ahead. question. Are you worried? Of, that's enough. That's enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that... That you may have I'm not concerned about anything with the Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. We now welcome from Washington, Jackson Prosco. And Jackson, uh, that is animosity at a level 12 out of 10 there between the president and Jim Acosta? Yeah, although I would say not altogether unsurprising at this point. Uh, you know, the, the president's already had a, a testy relationship with the press, and we saw that on display not just with Jim Acosta yesterday, but uh, with other reporters. A reporter from PBS, who happens to be African-American, uh, asked the president about his nationalist label and asked, you know, what his response is to the fact that this seems to be uh, something seized upon by racists and white nationalists. And he said, your question is racist, and he refused to answer it. And it was like that. It was that contentious with other reporters as well. He, uh, Jim Acosta eventually had his White House credentials suspended. Uh, is that is that unprecedented? I'm not so sure, Jackson. Like, is that something that's happened before? It's absolutely unprecedented. Uh, no one who works at the White House can remember anything like that happening. And what's even stranger is that the White House is using what appears to be a doctored video of the encounter with a White House intern uh, to justify this. The The video yesterday, uh, if you were listening to that audio there, you could hear Jim Acosta say, pardon me, ma'am, because at that moment, a White House intern came up and actually tried to grab the microphone out of his hand as he was asking a question to the president. And he... Um, turned away from her as that was happening and uh, he may have uh, brushed up against her arm, a natural response if somebody tried to grab something out of your hand but the White House is sharing a video of that that's been doctored, it's been sped up and it's made to look like Jim Acosta is almost karate chopping her in the arm uh, so it sort of tells you where things are at right now that they're using doctored footage to try and make their point We've entered a whole new world here. I think, Jackson, you used the word that it is unprecedented for the White House, but also just this relationship that he, he has with the media, uh, calling them the enemy of the people. And there's some really serious issues. There's some very serious things going on in the United States right now, uh, the least of which, uh, or major of it this morning at least, is the shooting in California. What's he saying about that? And, is, and is he, what, what's the spin on that one this morning? Yeah, I mean, the president has simply tweeted that, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers are with people and he commends law enforcement for doing a good job. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this is the worst mass shooting in the past 11 days in this country. And no one is really talking about taking any sort of action to prevent another one from happening. And I don't think you will hear anyone talking about that. That's just the way these things now go. I'm reminded uh, I, I call me immature, but I'm reminded of a Simpsons scene regarding the doctored video where Homer Simpson, I, think, I can't remember, it was like a current affair kind of show where it was uh, uh, Sweet Can regarding the, the babysitter. I don't know if you know the clip, Jackson, but uh, I can't, it, it shocks me that the White House, of all institutions on this planet, that the White House would kind of stoop to that sort of uh, tactic. 
Yeah, I mean, for the record, they didn't doctor the video themselves. It came from InfoWars, which, of course, is a conspiracy-driven website, and we know this is the conspiracy president. He loves conspiracy theories, so no big surprise uh, that that's happened. I mean, remember, it was uh, shortly after Trump took office that he shared uh, doctored videos and conspiratorial videos of uh, Muslim migrants in Europe, and everyone was saying, whoa, where is this coming from? Well, we've now seen that that's a, a big factor in this presidency, is embracing conspiracy theories. So Jeff Sessions yesterday, depending on the language, uh, either was asked to resign, uh, quit, or was fired. Uh, what language are you using, uh, Jackson, and, and what does this mean for the, um, the, the Russia investigation? Yeah, I mean, we'll say fired. I think that's clear as day. Uh, Jeff, Se- Jeff Sessions' resignation letter says he was delivering his resignation at the request of the president. So that is a firing. Uh, what it means for the Russia investigation is a big question mark here today because, of course, Jeff Sessions had recused himself from having any oversight of Bob Mueller's uh, Russia probe because he had worked on the Trump campaign. And that meant that the job of overseeing the Mueller investigation actually fell to the deputy attorney general. But with a new attorney general in place, or at least an acting attorney general. That new person actually has oversight of the Mueller probe. And guess what? The new acting attorney general uh, is essentially a Trump loyalist who has given numerous interviews and written numerous op-eds saying that Mueller is overreaching, that he shouldn't be looking into the president's finances, for example. So there are a lot of folks in Washington who are really concerned that this is the beginning of a process to clamp down or halt the Mueller probe. Uh, The question, though, is whether the acting attorney general will actually act against Mueller or do things as he himself once suggested like uh, reining in Mueller's budget to the point that he he can't do anything. Well, I don't know how you do it. From the start of yesterday, we were talking about midterm results, and then the president came out and had that press conference, and then there was an altercation with Jim Acosta, and then you had the firing of Sessions. I mean, it goes on and on. So um, good luck to you today, uh, Jackson. (laughs) Who knows what uh, Thursday will bring? Yeah, thank you. You know, if nothing else, it seems like all of those things are distract, an, an attempt to distract from the thing that happened before. Yeah, and that's a very good point. And I think that, that we have to keep that in mind about not falling for that distraction. It's interesting, but there's so many issues going on. Thank you very much, Jackson Prosco from Washington this morning. Thank you. It's a big birthday celebration today. Yeah, happy birthday, Winnipeg. 145 years ago, today, Winnipeg was officially made a city. What that means is it was incorporated November 8th, 1873. And so the incorporation uh, essentially means that the legislature passed a law allowing it to create its own government so it could have its own taxes and rules and all the rest. Uh, but I, this is where it gets amazing to me because you use the word incorporation and city and taxes and all that kind of stuff and your eyes might glaze over, but it wasn't just challenging for them to get this done. It was downright dangerous. So here's what was happening back in 1873. You had the Hudson's Bay Company, which still owned a lot of Winnipeg, and they wanted to have a say in how a new city would work. Then there was the province. It wanted to make sure incorporation would still allow it to collect enough tax. And then, of course, you had the founding fathers, if you will, of Winnipeg wanting the city to have its own government, essentially give it it, its own say. So 145 years ago, those warring factions, if you will, all clashed in the Manitoba legislature. Historical blogger Christian Cassidy sets the scene. And like any bill, when it goes to the legislature, it goes through the committee process. 
and the MLAs get to kick the tires and make amendments and things like that. And, and they certainly did. They, they restricted a lot of the, the types of taxes that the city could collect and how much taxes it could collect. It restricted how much the city could borrow and even tinkered with little things like the, the ward system. And the province retained the right to, to issue liquor permits in, inside city boundaries and things like that. So the, the people who had presented it, these kind of city fathers in waiting, were, were pretty incensed that, that their I guess, vision document, you could call it, was you know, being kind of twisted and pulled and, and squashed in places. So by the time it kind of came to a vote, um, they were already pretty, pretty incensed at, at what was happening. And at the time of the vote, uh, what had happened was on March uh, the 7th, uh, 1873, it was the last day of sitting for the legislature for that session. And the only reason sitting that day was to pass the Incorporation Act. And what happened is, as it was being read aloud, the uh, somebody noticed that one of the provisions in there actually took money away from the province and said that, well, that, you know, that, that the wording was improper and, and that, that you can't pass a bill where the province loses revenue and asked the speaker to rule on that. And uh, the speaker, who was Dr. Curtis Bird um, agreed and said, yes, you're right, that's, uh, that's improper, and sent it back to committee. Uh, the problem was it was the last day of sitting. So by sending it back to committee meant it would be months and months before the bill would, would come up for a vote again. And uh, that's when uh, kind of all, all hell broke loose, so to speak. All hell broke loose. Okay, so it wasn't just a shouting match or even a few swear words. The speaker who sent that bill back for review, which could potentially have given the province more powers, was Dr. Bird, and he was punished for that decision. It's never been clear who uh, went after him, but it was most likely the folks from the city. Here's what historian Christian had said happened next. Yes, they lured him out of his house, uh, saying that there was a dying child that needed his help. And of course, being a doctor, he grabbed his bag, grabbed his coat, and, and got, into the, got into the buggy with the, uh, with the person who came to the door. And as they kind of hit the outskirts of the city, uh, two or three men uh, jumped out of the bushes. Uh, they gagged Dr. Bird, dragged him out of the buggy, and began beating on him. And uh, he claims that at, at some point during the beating, he had lost consciousness for a little while. And when he came to, the, the beating was ending, but he realized that he had been covered in, in warm tar. His hands and his head and his face uh, were covered in warm tar. So he uh, uh, had to you know, get up and walk himself back home. He was obviously humiliated. He was and incensed at, at what had happened to him. But it was, quite a, it, was, you know, it was quite a serious matter. Was it ever clear who did it in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned the three sides, the province, city, and HBC, and, and Dr. Bird had voted in favor of delaying this bill. So do we presume it's folks from the city or HBC or people who at least would have been supportive of those sides behind this? I, I would imagine it would have been supporters of the city because they, they were the ones who lost out lost out so they were so mad that they dragged this poor doctor out of his house tarred him didn't feather him from the sounds of it although we're going to use that phrase for our own editorial purposes if nobody (laughs) minds i just think it flows better together so he was tarred potentially feathered uh 
And I said it was extreme, and I said to Christian Cassidy, the historian, this seems extreme, but he says it's so very relevant 145 years later. I know people like to say the politicians still aren't behaving themselves, but what's happening today pales in comparison compared to this story, at least. There are still a lot of news stories nowadays that kind of relate back to this. I mean, how many times does CJOB report in a year that that the city's complaining that it doesn't have the proper tools of taxation to be able to raise its own money, or kind of power struggles between, you know, the province determining what the city's infrastructure, you know, project should be, and, and, you know, not letting the city decide for itself. So, so there's, you know, some, there's still some items today that kind of go back to that, to that struggle 145 years ago, kind of the province and the city kind of pitted against each other to, uh, um, for decision-making power, for, for power of taxation and that sort of thing. So 145 years ago, this uh, extreme shouting match, the Natar and Feathering, eventually Winnipeg was incorporated November 8th, 1873, which is 145 years ago today. But you talk about how like the province and the city fight now about things. This is that, That's nothing compared yeah. to this. I mean, why imagine dragging somebody out and... Uh, well, you can't. You would definitely be. You'd be caught. Yeah, and and, and the boundaries, the original boundaries, were very much at question. And the you know, Hudson Bay Company, as was mentioned, really had their fingers in this pie mm-hmm. as well. It was. Uh, yeah, it, it's a fascinating part of our history. Yeah. How would you clean off tar? That's a great question, and that's why the feathering. I think <laughs> I don't want to keep talking about this feathering, but made it much more problematic because then it would stick to you, and you couldn't get the feathers off. I don't think. And the interesting part was they talked about how humiliated he had was to have been tarred um, because it was more like a shame thing, I think, than it was a crime. It's just like, oh, they got me. There's they that guy. really got me today. Like, There's that guy I who think- can't keep his mouth shut, wants progressive <laughs> stuff. Yeah, well, so it's, a, kind of like, it's like an old-fashioned sort of I don't know. You want to use the word justice, but this old. I, I, sometimes I wish that politicians, uh, rather than have these big squabbles in the house where they yell at each other, they just go mano a mano and have some sort of a, a showdown. Not a tarring, but I think of uh, like if Brian Pallister wants to throw down with somebody. I've seen the dude running on Wellington Crescent. He is a solid runner. He could outrun everybody and Ryan win. Bowman, he could just runner. win all the races on, for Manitoba. Maybe with, uh, him and Wad Canoe could do like a curling match or something. I see uh, Premier Pallister still got his uh, curling game. As wow. long as it's all. not boxing, like uh, who did Trudeau box with? <laughs> oh, the senator. Yes. Brazil? From Quebec. Yeah, Brazil. Let's leave that out of it. Let's yeah. leave the boxing out of it. A race may be fun. If you can't settle it, we will take to the track. Yeah. I think it'd be great. He was in his running regalia. Like, uh, he, he looked like he was running a marathon. So, yeah, I was feeling good about myself walking down Wellington Crescent, walking to work, and then along comes this tall guy, and I think, and just as he walks by, I go, huh, that was the premier. He, uh, he looks like he runs a lot. So imagine that. Even in this day of celebration, 145 after, years after its inception, we realized that the creation of Winnipeg was, in fact, a, one of the... Th- something that nobody or several people didn't want. It's a very Winnipeg thing. Yeah. Well, you got to argue over it, don't you think? You got to argue, Greg. You don't want you don't want to just say, okay, sure, let, them, let the city just gigs. And then there is Winnipeg. You can't have that. You got to uh, have a fight about it. Yeah, of course. And it's hard. Eve says they should uh, settle things by skipping rocks. <laughs> that's a skill. If you can skip oh, rocks. that's hard. No I tried to teach the kids it. this summer that and then realized I couldn't do it. And then it's like, why am I... You can't pass on the skill that you don't have a skill of, you know? It's just, where does that go? Instead of skipping, it just kind of goes... That's a good throw. I kept saying, ooh, heavy rock. Maybe we'll try this thinner one. No, I just can't do it.
The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.